If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now I need your help to get back to the year 1985. I've been reviewing each year of the 80s and we've reached the halfway point. And we've also reached the year that may be the crown jewel of the entire decade, 1985. It's not that the 80s peaked this year, but it seemed to get pretty close. This will be a look back on the major events, movies, TV shows, cartoons, technology, and sports of what's arguably the best year of the decade, 1985. As I do these reviews, I'm focusing on the pop culture-related moments of each year, but we can't ignore the world events that are happening. Even though as kids we were more concerned with getting the best breakfast cereal and Saturday morning cartoons, these events were still taking place around us, even if we were unaware. Here's some notable world events in 1985. Mikhail Gorbachev becomes a Soviet leader. The Live Aid concerts from Philadelphia and London raise over $50 million. Route 66 is officially removed from the U.S. highway system. The UK and Spain agreed to open the border between Gibraltar and Spain. Calvin and Hobbes made its debut. There was the devastating volcanic eruption in Colombia. The British coal miner strike ends. The wreck of the Titanic was discovered. Average monthly rent is $325. A gallon of gas is $1.09. The average cost of a new home is $89,000. And new cars around $9,000. And a stamp cost 22 cents. So speaking of world events, let's look at one of the greatest marketing disasters of all time from one of the biggest companies of all time. And this is the story of New Coke. For 99 years, it was gospel, the old time religion of soft drinks, the world's number one consumer product. Los Angeles Coca-Cola bottling company took a bold step toward a new beginning or the beginning of the end. New formula Coke. This is the first can of the new product, which will replace regular Coke around the world. In 1985, we were coming up on the 100th anniversary of the iconic beverage, and the company started to struggle a bit in the market. Pepsi had severely cut into Coke's market share with their Pepsi Challenge taste test battle, and Coke decided it needed a fresh approach. The Diet Cola market was making significant traction, and people were getting used to the sweeter taste that came with a Diet Cola. 
Coca-Cola decided to abandon its original formula, the same one they had been using for a century, and completely redesign their soft drink. They would call it New Coke. New Coke had a sweeter taste but was distinctly different from the one everyone knew. It did well in taste tests and the company was encouraged. But here's the problem. New Coke wouldn't be launched in addition to regular Coke, but as a total replacement. This is what would result in disaster for the company. Even if people love New Coke more than anything, which they didn't, taking away something that had been a part of people's lives for generations was way too far. This is when the backlash began. Coca-Cola headquarters was flooded with hateful letters and phone messages about this abrupt change. Not only were sales of New Coke dismal, but this is the type of backlash that can sink a company. Coca-Cola actually hired psychologists to analyze the messages they were receiving and discovered that people were discussing the hurt they felt in the same way they would had they lost a family member. Yikes. Just three months later, Coca-Cola would completely abandon New Coke and bring back the original formula, which they now branded Coca-Cola Classic. Was this their intent all along? Did they want to upset the public and make them appreciate and feel nostalgic for the original drink? Or was it just the worst marketing blunder of all time? When asked whether or not this was a stunt, Coca-Cola president Don Keogh gave one of the great all-time lines when he said, We are not that dumb and we're not that smart. And speaking of colas, 1985 was also the year when the infamous Jolt Cola was released. And I've done an episode all about that if you want to go back and check it out. Let's switch into the big movies of 1985. And it may not be the best year for the overall number of 1980s classics, but 1985 definitely gave us some of the most significant of the decade. And it, of course, all starts with one film and one film only. My favorite movie of all time, the definitive 1980s movie, and one of the primary driving influences behind this entire podcast. What more can we say about Back to the Future that hasn't already been said? It's the movie that began when director Bob Gale was at his house looking through his parents' old yearbooks. He found out that his dad was student council president. Gale didn't have a lot in common with the student council president when he was in school, and he wondered if he would have been friends with his dad if they were both in high school at the same time. This simple idea put in motion a movie that captured everyone's imagination. Not only did they create a mind-blowing time travel movie, but included several other genres of film. Back to the Future is a science fiction film, an action adventure, a comedy, a teen high school movie, a romance, a coming-of-age film. Back to the Future was released on July 3rd, 1985 and was an instant hit. It stayed number one for an astonishing 13 weeks and would surpass the juggernaut that we're going to discuss in a second. By the end of its run, Back to the Future was the highest grossing film of 1985 and had made nearly $390 million. Converted for today, that's around a billion dollars. Back to the Future was also seen as helping to save a year for Hollywood that was struggling. 1984 was a banner year for films, and the industry crossed the $4 billion mark. But in 1985, it was down 14%. Back to the Future would help save it. Back to the Future is also notable for making a massive 180 over the course of filming. Michael J. Fox was always the first choice to play Marty McFly, but schedule conflicts with family ties prevented it. 
Actor Eric Stoltz was then cast, and the majority of the film was completely finished. But the producers realized Stoltz wasn't working. He was bringing a tone that was too intense and not as whimsical as the Marty we now know. The producers had to make the very difficult decision to let Stoltz go, but then Michael J. Fox was available. Reshooting a majority of the movie cost the studio another $4 million, but it was clearly the right choice. And what was the movie it surpassed? Beverly Hills Cop. And this is an interesting one because as successful as this movie was, it could have been even more successful. It's also interesting as it came out in late 1984, but really took off in 1985. It had an odd release date of December 5th. If you're like me, you wanted to see this movie more than life itself, but there was no way that was going to happen as it was an R-rated film. My mom had concerns about me seeing the Transformers movie, so there was no way Beverly Hills Cop was going to happen. And this is what may have prevented it from being an all-time box office smash. Don't get me wrong, it was still massively successful as it made $316 million on a budget of just $13 million. Converted for today, that's over $850 million. An astonishing amount for an action comedy, no matter when it was released. And the point is, this was an R-rated film, and became the highest-grossing R-rated film of all time. But I think how much more money it could have made if it was PG-13 and more people could have seen it. Also lost in all of this success is the fact Beverly Hills Cop was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay and a Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. And then we have this classic. Don't you realize? The next time you see Sky, it'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best of stuff for us. But right now they gotta do what's right for them. Cause it's their time. Their time, up there. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. When people cite their all-time favorite 1980s movie, Goonies is often at the top of the list. This movie captured everything that made 80s films so great. It was youthful, comedic, action-filled, and a true fantasy movie. Directed by Chris Columbus, The Goonies came out on June 7th, 1985, and completely captured the imagination of kids everywhere. It was a kids movie, but not in a watered-down family Disney type way. This felt more like the kids we knew and the way we actually talked and acted. The Goonies is also a simple treasure hunt as the kids try to find the treasure of One-Eyed Willie. As notable as The Goonies is, it wasn't exactly a box office juggernaut. Made on a budget of $19 million, the film would gross just over 61. Converted for today, that's about $170 million. Not awful by any means, but it would become more successful and a cult favorite as the years went by. The Goonies still finished in the top 10 highest grossing films of 1985, and when you look at the competition, it's still pretty impressive. It also made stars of Sean Astin, Corey Feldman, and a young Thanos in Josh Brolin. And last we have The Breakfast Club. Here we have the definitive coming-of-age film. The Breakfast Club came out on February 15, 1985, directed by John Hughes. The Breakfast Club is a simple film. It's all shot in one location with a group of kids who don't have anything in common, or so they think. The characters of The Breakfast Club do have something in common. Like most adolescents, they feel misunderstood and rebel against an authority figure. 
The film was made for just $1 million and feels like you're watching a play. The cast rehearsed for three straight weeks to discover their characters and build that on-screen rapport and connection. This also allowed them to film the movie in its exact sequence, which maybe explains why it flows and blends together so well. The movie does represent this specific period in the 80s, but viewers of any era can relate to the issues the kids face. It was also significant as all of us could identify ourselves in at least one of the characters. And here's a few other notable movies from 1985. The Color Purple, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Teen Wolf, Weird Science, Ewoks A Battle for Endor, A View to a Kill, The Jewel of the Nile, and Brazil. So 1985 may not have as many classic offerings as, say, 1986, 1988, or 1989, but it stands out as one of the most significant years for film, not only in the 80s, but ever. We now turn our attention to the best music of 1985, and some big-time musical moments happened this year. We Are the World and Live Aid have to be at the top of the list. The event at Wembley would also give us arguably the greatest musical set of all time when Queen took the stage. This was also the first time Led Zeppelin played together since they disbanded in 1980, and it was the day where, thanks to the Concord, Phil Collins was able to appear in both Philly and London. Here's some other big moments in music from 1985. Rock in Rio first began, VH1 begins broadcasting, Whitney Houston releases her debut album, David Lee Roth leaves Van Halen, and 1985 is the year when Michael Jackson purchased all the publishing rights to all of the Beatles' music, much to the horrified dismay of Paul McCartney, who was also bidding. But 1985 was definitely about pop music. Hard rock and electronic were nowhere near the top 10 singles. 1985 was all about Wham! and Madonna. Speaking of Wham!, they would become the first Western pop act to play in China. 1985 was more about lighter hits and feel-good songs, and here's what the top 10 looked like according to Billboard. Number one was Careless Whisper by Wham. Number two was Like a Virgin by Madonna. Number three, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. Number four, I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. Number five is I Feel For You by Shaka Khan. Six, Out of Touch by Hall Notes. Seven, Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. Eight, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Nine, Crazy For You by Madonna. And number 10, surprisingly, lower down, I thought, Take On Me by Aha. And there are some other surprising hits that were nowhere near the top 10 in 85, including We Are the World, The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News, We Built This City by Starship, and Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. When it came to the best-selling albums of 1985, there were 19 number one albums that year, which shows you how diversified the best-selling album charts were. The number one album of the year, when we go by best performance from Billboard, was Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. In 1985, we didn't get any months-long dominance on the charts like we had seen with Thriller. Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits spent the most weeks at number one with nine. Other top-selling albums of the year included the Miami Vice soundtrack, the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack, We Are the World by USA for Africa, Like a Virgin by Madonna, Make It Big by Wham!, No Jacket Required by Phil Collins, and Songs from the Big Chair by Tears for Fears. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. As we shift into the technological advancements, we're going to get to the one big one that had the most profound impact on kids in a moment. But 1985 gave us an interesting mix of technological advancements and significant events. One big event was the release of the Commodore 128 in January. And here's an interesting one that's easily slipped under the radar. In 1984, we of course got the release of the iconic Macintosh from Apple Computers. This was revealed in what is arguably the greatest commercial in history, the Apple Super Bowl commercial. Not many people remember that Apple had a follow-up to this groundbreaking ad in 1985. It was the Lemmings ad and was used to promote the Macintosh office. This ad was the complete opposite of the 1984 ad and was a massive flop. 1985 is also significant in the tech world as on September 16th, Steve Jobs would quit Apple. We all know how this story turns out, but at the time, this was a seismic cultural shift in the technological landscape. Also that year, the first version of Microsoft Windows came out. It cost $100 or around 271 adjusted for inflation. The CD player was still going strong. It was first introduced in 1982, but the very first Discman came out in 1985. It really wasn't the greatest idea and was so prone to skipping that you could barely walk around with it. It would take years for the technology to develop and people just stuck with the Walkman. But when I talk about the biggest technological innovation as it came to kids, it was this. now looking back, but there was a time in the early 80s when video games had almost died. The great video game crash of 1983 had bankrupted Atari and caused manufacturers and toy producers to distance themselves from anything to do with video games. A nearly 100-year-old company in Japan called Nintendo was finding success with a new video game system they called the Famicom, or Family Computer. They believed in the advanced technology they had with this new system and wanted to bring it to North America. Worried about the backlash from the video game crash, they did everything they could to distance themselves from video games. They wouldn't use cartridges, but instead had a game pack. They didn't have joysticks, but used control pads. There wasn't a console, but they had a control deck. And most importantly, they weren't a video game system, but an entertainment system. They changed the name from the Famicom to the Nintendo Entertainment System and rejuvenated the video game industry forever. The NES came out on October 6, 1985 to select test markets before being released nationwide, and it changed video games forever and always. Funny enough, Super Mario Brothers would be released a month earlier. For a kid in the 80s, it didn't seem possible that video games could be this good. 
I distinctly remember the first time playing Mario and not knowing a world like this was possible. It also gave us Duck Hunt, where we could actually interact with the game on the screen in front of us. And I clearly wasn't the only one blown away by the advancements of the NES. 61 million systems would be sold. By 1988, the market for Nintendo cartridges was bigger than for all home computer software. By 1990, a staggering 30% of North American households had an NES. The future was here and there was no looking back. And this takes us into the important TV shows in 1985. There's still no change, TV ruled the roost this year. The introduction of the NES would cut into our TV watching time, but network TV was still king. Let's look at some of the significant shows that debuted in 1985. So if you were a kid in the 80s, it obviously got no bigger than the monumental G.I. Joe cartoon. So technically this show debuted in 1983, but looking back we can see how these episodes were nothing more than 22 minute commercials for the toys, but we didn't care, we still loved it. G.I. Joe may be the spokesperson for the era of deregulation and the advertising to children. A show like this would have never been possible just a few years prior, but with all the restrictions with children's advertising lifted, G.I. Joe had free reign and became the blueprint for how to produce a cartoon and toy line. So it technically started in 82 with fully animated TV commercials and they introduced the characters in the toy line. These commercials were so popular that in 1983 a five-part miniseries was created. Then another five-part series in 1984. The show, though, didn't get a full release until 1985, when a massive 55 episodes were commissioned for release. And funnily enough, it only lasted for two seasons. Another 30 episodes were released in 1986, but at that point, there were more than enough for syndication, and G.I. Joe would become a staple for after-school viewing for years. Speaking of cartoons, 1985 was a big year for them. It may have even been one of the best ever. Here are some of the beloved shows that debuted this year. The Care Bears, Gem and the Holograms, The Ewoks Cartoon, Star Wars Droids, The Gummy Bears, She-Ra, Thundercats, The Raccoons, The Bugs Bunny Looney Tunes Comedy Hour, The Wuzzles, and The Berenstain Bears, spelled with an E there. Then there's one of the weirdest sitcoms of the 80s, Small Wonder. This is something you couldn't help but get caught up in. Telling the story of the Lawson family and Vicky, a child robot built by Lawson that the family passed off as an adopted child, Small Wonder debuted in September 1985 and would last until 1989. Vicky was technically spelt V-I-C-I, a voice input child identikit, and she probably would have made a pretty good Avenger. Vicky was played by actor Tiffany Brissett, and she was like a small female Iron Man that had superhuman strength and speed. Small Wonder is significant because it was one of the very first shows that was produced as a syndicated series, meaning that it never had original broadcast dates, so it could be made for next to nothing and was always a profitable show. Even if you think this show is weird, it is significant because it set the standard for other shows to follow this format. Next we had The Golden Girls, and that would be another one of the most significant debuts of 1985, and it would run all the way to 1992. Another notable show was MacGyver. It would also run until 1992. For my UK and Aussie friends, 1985 was the year the residents of Ramsey Street were first introduced to the world when Neighbours was released. A few other significant TV shows that came out in 1985 included Growing Pains, 227, EastEnders, and Mr. Belvedere. 
Let's look at the top 10 highest rated shows of 1985. And the behemoth Cosby show was still on top, averaging a rating of 33.7. That means that more than a third of the viewing country was tuning in to watch. This may vary over the years, but a rating point can equal around 980,000 viewers, so approximately 33 million people tuned in each week. It was almost doubling the audience of Monday Night Football. The average episode of The Cosby Show was getting more ratings than that year's World Series, but close on its heels was Family Ties with a 30 rating share. Here's how the rest of the top 10 played out in 1985. After The Cosby Show and Family Ties, at number three, we had Murder, She Wrote with a rating of 25.3, 60 Minutes at 23.9, Cheers with a 23.7 rating share, Dallas at number six with a 21.9, seven was a tie between Dynasty and the Golden Girls at 21.8, number nine was Miami Vice with 21.3, and at number 10, Who's the Boss with a 21.1 rating share. And while we're referencing TV, this is a look at the major sporting events in 1985. And it's a pretty decent year for sports, but a lot of that depends on what city you live in. For some, it may have been an awful year. But there's one thing we need to start with. Even though you may not consider it a sport, one event ushered in a whole new era of sports entertainment. If you've been a wrestling fan at any point, you have WrestleMania 1 to thank for it. What was considered a massive risk at the time, WrestleMania 1 was a first-of-its-kind event that brought together professional wrestling, celebrities, and music into a culmination event that took place at Madison Square Gardens on March 31st, 1985. The main event was centered on Hulk Hogan and actor Mr. T against Rowdy Roddy Piper and Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. It also featured singer Cindy Lauper, who had been a big part of getting the WWF to become more of a mainstream product. The connection between wrestling and MTV was dubbed the Rock and Wrestling Connection. Professional wrestling had exploded in the 1980s, and a culmination event would be the perfect way to bring this new world of rock and wrestling together. And it would be built on the back of Hulk Hogan. His tremendous appeal had shockingly put him on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and Hulkamania was indeed running wild. Owner of the then WWF, Vince McMahon, put everything he had into WrestleMania 1, including allegedly mortgaging his house unbeknownst to his wife, Linda. If it hadn't worked, professional wrestling would have probably stayed a regional niche attraction instead of the global powerhouse it now is. WrestleMania 1 was also the introduction of a new kind of viewing called closed-circuit television, which hadn't really been done before and was a way for people to watch the event live in theaters in their own cities. WrestleMania has been going strong for 38 years, and despite how gigantic the event and venues have become, it still follows that blueprint laid back in 1985. With regular sports, we're coming off of an Olympic year in 1984, so there's always a bit of a letdown the following year. One very significant sporting moment occurred in September when Pete Rose broke Ty Cobb's all-time hit record by reaching 4,191 hits. Here's some other sporting highlights. Marvin Hagler knocks out Thomas Hearns, and Michael Spinks defeats Larry Holmes in some key boxing matches. The NCAA Basketball Championship was won by Villanova. Boris Becker wins Wimbledon at the astonishing age of 17. Yvonne Lendl wins the U.S. Open, and Martina Navratilova wins both Wimbledon and the Australian Open. Spend a Buck wins the Kentucky Derby, and Bernard Longer wins the Masters. 
In the big four North American sports, we have the Stanley Cup won by the Edmonton Oilers. The LA Lakers wins the NBA championship. The Kansas City Royals wins the World Series. And Joe Montana and the San Francisco 49ers win Super Bowl 19 against Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins in the battle of the quarterbacks. So as we wind down, yes, there were still a lot of terrible things that happened around the world in 1985, but they really seemed to take a back seat to the fun and excitement the year had to offer. Our experiences will vary widely, and we often look back at the past and our youth with rose-colored glasses, but things really felt like smooth sailing in 1985. The 80s was a decade that seemed to offer a lot of hope and progress, and I don't think any year exemplified this better than 1985. So thank you for listening. I hope you like this look back as I review all the years of the decade. And, you know, depending on your viewpoint, you might see this as not as good. And many people may agree that it was the best year of the 80s. Again, it all depends on your perspective. But thank you for listening. And as I finish, and if you're in a position to do so, if you're interested in supporting this show, you can consider checking out patreon.com. And this is a platform where you're able to support small independent podcasts like this. And as little as a few dollars a month gets you access to different audio rewards and with different tiers come different rewards, say at the Boba Fett tier, which is right in the middle, gives you access to the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast, where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. So if you want to learn more, if you're interested in this whole thing, you can check out patreon.com slash 80. So that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash 80s. Or wherever you're listening to this on, in the show notes or the description of the show, you should find a link that'll take you right there. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.